Welcome out to the Bulls and the Bears, sponsored by Online Trading Academy, the most trusted name in financial education, and celebrating 25 years of service. I am Aaron Warby, and I am here with the incomparable Nigel Cave. And again, it is good to be here. This is our fourth podcast show. Yeah, no commercials. Fourth. How delightful. I know. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the title of this one is Diversification, the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Okay, now, diversification is a topic that's been hotly debated for a long time. And um, as a general rule, people believe in diversification. Well, now, there's, general, there's, general people. There's many different forms of diversification, too. Yeah. So yeah, well, it and really depends kind of on what you're doing. Yeah. Now, the, the problem is, is that mathematically, diversification doesn't make any sense to somebody that knows what they're doing. Right? Well, and, and again, if you have a small account... Diversification is really, really bad for you, probably. If you have a huge account, when I say huge, I mean eight plus figures, you might have to diversify a little bit, but not to the well, extreme that some people have told you. Well, yeah, yeah, okay. So, but the the one of the larger accounts out there is Warren Buffett. Hates diversification. All right. He does. So here's what Warren, you know, Warren Buffett looks at diversification kind of like training wheels. All right. Now, training wheels are very necessary for people that don't need to or don't know how to ride bikes. Right? They, they know how to pedal. Yeah. That's about all, the, all they know. Um, but if you're an adult and you know how to ride a bike, then those training wheels really get in the way. And that's, yeah. that's what Warren Buffett is saying, okay? But um, if you talk to most of the financial people out there, especially those that you pay to handle your stuff, they'll tell you that absolutely diversification is essential for any portfolio because it's the only protection you've got. And from their point of view, it is. Because they don't use the same risk management that individual well, yeah, traders use. Because they, don't, they can't use any of the tools that professionals can use for mass accounts like that. Yeah. Right? And, and so they're looking at it as, whoa, that's the only protection you've got. Now, you know, and then you talk to somebody else that actually knows what they're doing, like Warren Buffett, mm -hmm. who talks a lot about diversification. All right? And, and he'll say that... Uh, portfolio diversification is counterproductive to the goals of the individual trader and that so-called protections of diversification sacrifice any chance of appreciable growth. Now, that's not a quote. No. I, I wrote that. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of it. <laughs> I, I would have to agree with that. Um, but when you, when you talk about diverse, diversification, I think of, hey, you have like a pie chart and you have five to 10 different segments where you put your money and they all kind of moderately perform some underperform some overperform and you get an average of like four percent yeah which is not well, great yeah yeah so let me just run you through the numbers of this all right um if we're diversifying the mean annual return of all stocks between 1926 and 2016 was 14.74 percent well, that's, that's the good. mean all right. While the median was a mere five point two three. That's a that's all right. A big now that's difference. a huge yeah. yeah. And and then that's kind of the difference between. I mean, if you understand mean and median, let let's just go on. Okay. This this will it'll you know this will make sense in a minute. Um, over half of the stocks delivered negative returns during their lifetime. Mm -hmm. Only forty two percent outperformed the three month Treasury bill, meaning that. That forty-two percent of the time, you're better off just buying a bond. Yeah, as poorly as and those perform. A, a three-month bond, which is a three uh, month, yeah, not a very high-paying thing. Good, typically. Yeah, um, just four percent of all stocks accounted for all of the wealth created 
by the stock market from 1926 to 2016. Yeah, so... (laughs) You know, what, what Warren Buffett is saying is, why in the world would we, uh, you know, would we diversify when we could just pick up just the 4%? Let's look for the 4%. Yeah. Now, it, when he talks to the general public, he has been quoted as saying, hey, the average investor should just buy the S&P 500, mm-hmm. which has very wide diversification, right? I mean, that's 500 different stocks. Mm-hmm. And that's 500 why. different companies, 505 different stocks. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> you're, you're correct because Google has two. Yeah, I didn't want so, I, yeah, I didn't want someone to Google that and be like, no, no, no. <laughs> there's 505. Yes, different companies, but 505. Yeah, 500 different companies, 505 stocks. All right. At any rate, yes. So, but then you talk to Warren Buffett, and he says risk comes from not knowing what you're doing. So, wide diversification is only required when investors are ignorant. All right. Now, of course, the S&P being wide diversification. And so when he's talking to the general public, he's saying, you're ignorant. Yeah. Use this. Use, yeah. (laughs) Well, now, so here's the thing with that, though, is that when you look at wide diversification, yes, 500 stocks is wide diversification, but... Oh, I have more numbers. What I think of wide (laughs) diversification is, is I met a lady who actually came to one of our classes and she worked for a mutual fund company. Uh-huh. And I asked her if she even bought her own mutual funds. She said, no, I just diversify. And I thought that that might have even been worse than the mutual funds, actually. And it was. Um, she oh, yeah, explained was. to me what she was doing. And she basically had gold and silver and, a, and a, just a very small amount of actual stocks. But it was international things. It was homes. It was all this stuff. And during the year of 2021, the average of the market, which is the S&P, did 29.4%. Mm-hmm. She did 4%. And I was like, you missed 25% in your account because you weren't even doing average because you had so many things that as soon as one went up, you basically had an exact opposite that went down to outweigh it. Right. Because you were trying to protect yourself some way that you didn't need to yeah. do that. Yeah, treasury bonds performed better. Yeah, I, I couldn't believe Why? that she told me that. And I was like, wow, you really well, missed a I whole guess... year of growth, yeah. basically, in the average. Yeah, I, I guess the I-bond performed better. But that was the one I was talking back, back about back in 2020. Well, the I-bond, you right. can only put $10,000 in, which is really unfortunate. But still, <laughs> but still, I was I was just confused by this lady. So when I think of wide diversification, that's what I think of. People oh. who, no matter what happens, they their account only moves a couple of percent, even if the market's up 20 or 30%. Right. But even when the market goes down, they actually are still subject to lose because like this last year, the whole bond balance thing really yeah. didn't work very well for people. No, it didn't. No, bonds bonds have been just death lately. You know, finance, I mean, if from an investing standpoint, yeah. they've been awful. Uh, so people that were holding bonds, uh, you know, because that that's exactly... Here's the real tragedy, right? Um, as people get a little bit older, as people get closer to retirement, more um, the... Mm, the common, mm-hmm. the commonly accepted practice among financial advisors is to shift more and more of, uh, of what they've got over into bonds. All right. Now, that's because bonds are considered very safe. Mm-hmm. They don't pay out very well, but you don't want any fluctuation when that's your source of income now, right? Yeah. And th- that was working okay, I suppose, through the 80s. It started to break down in the, you know, after 2008. 
mm-hmm. because the interest rates just dropped out and yeah. it's just been awful lately. I yeah. mean, just, just awful. You'd be better <laughs> off. Yeah. You'd be better off holding cash really um, from a investing and, and trading standpoint. Okay. Um, now that's unless you were holding it to maturity, in which case it doesn't matter. You know, you bought it and you, and you're just holding it to maturity. It is what it is. Well, and and if you were doing like a like a, a three month or a six month or a year because you're yeah. afraid the market's going to go down and you were holding it to maturity, okay, whatever. Uh, maybe, but you're not. You, you know, you're you're underperforming inflation, so you're you're still losing. Yeah, right? but at least it's not potentially sitting in cash in a in a low yield savings account where you're getting a quarter of one eighth of a percent or whatever those accounts are yeah, those have been going up lately well the high yield yeah. ones i mean there's like a four and a half percent now but the the normal Which ones still below inflation that's true that's don't true. do it yeah. <laughs> yeah no so i i wondered just like you what what is actually the definition of wide wide diversification right? yeah because we want to we're human we want definitions here yeah and why not? So I consulted the uh, Google, which is the obviously, yeah. yes, it's the Google. It knows everything. Just ask it. Yeah. It'll tell you. Right. Um, so I, I, I asked Google and Investopedia uh, had an article where um, an economist went through and, and showed mathematically that holding anywhere above 20 different stocks mm-hmm. was wide diversification and netted you, you know, netted you market um, market returns. Wow. So anything above 20 different stocks is what they said. All right. Interesting. Yeah. So, um, here's, here's what I'm thinking. Okay. I believe that Warren Buffett, he was right when he said that risk is not knowing what you're doing. And so wide diversification is required when investors are ignorant. And so, you know, when he's talking about this, this is kind of how I see it. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to use a boxer analogy. Okay. I know boxing is something of the past. (laughs) <laughs> maybe maybe we should talk about cage. I don't know. MMA? Yeah, MMA. Uh, no, I'm going to go with boxers. Okay. okay. <laughs> All right. Um, so when I was a kid, I remember that, uh, you know, they'd get us into, into the gym, at least the boys. Yeah. And they'd give us heavy gloves, you know, the really big ones. That uh, so if you punch somebody, it doesn't really hurt. <laughs> but but they would um, they would get us there, and then they would teach us how to box. Okay, and you had varying degrees of competency within the group. Mm-hmm. So you know, here I am, and I'm thinking about investing. And most people think that for investors, they simply wake up one day and they magically tune into the universe, and, and now they're good stock pickers. And obviously, everybody that does well does well because they've picked out the best stock out there that just shoots straight up yeah or they have some natural talent for it yeah which is really wrong and shows ignorance yeah right and and i hope i'm not offending anybody (laughs) but if that was your thought you were wrong by the way okay (laughs) at any rate so here buffett is and he's talking about i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna look at this as boxer so what kind of advice would you give someone going into a boxing match facing a champion boxer and I think that the advice would vary depending on the competency level of the boxer you've got here. You know, you've got to advise them. Mm-hmm. But if you had somebody that had absolutely, I mean, this is the first time they're putting on gloves, but they're all kinds of excited, right? <laughs> and they think that they're the toughest person in the world. And they're facing this guy that doesn't look any bigger than them, but he's a champion boxer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what what kind of advice would you give them? Because if they... If they know nothing, then I would be tempted to give them one of two 
pieces of advice, right? Um, one, I mean, if I couldn't convince them to simply, I mean, this is, this is my, my first piece of advice, right? As soon as you hear the bell, lay down. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Just wait for the 10 count. Because yeah. <laughs> my goal at that point is just to keep him alive. Yeah. Right. <laughs> this guy is going to kill him. If I couldn't convince him that, I'd say, hey, protect your head, protect your head, and, and bear hug as often as possible. Yeah. All right. And that, w- that would be my advice to somebody that knew absolutely nothing going in. And that's kind of the advice that we give people that have absolutely no idea what they're doing before they get into the stock market. Or are, are coming into these free classes and, and we can see them being overly crazy risky and we're oh, like, yeah. hey, stop it. Yeah. And somebody that's determined not to learn, but they've got all kinds of excitement for the game, right? They're just gamblers. I would say, give your money to somebody else. Yeah. Lay down in the ring, wait for the 10 count. You're not going to make a lot of money, Right, this isn't going to pay you off very well, but you're not going to die. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. And that would be my advice. Now, if I had a boxer that that um, you know had some training, mm-hmm. they're going against a champion, but they've got some training, and they happen to be young, energetic, fast. Mm-hmm. Right. The bo- the champion might be a little bit older, obviously knows what they're doing. Then I might give them a different kind of advice. All right. It might be something a little bit more like, all right, you know, you've got to be fast, go in circles, side to side, only dive in when you know you've got, you know, if they're off balance and you know you've got a good shot. Mm-hmm. You've got a, a good punch. They're not going to be able to, uh, that champion isn't going to be able to react just as fast. My goal for that person would be to have them standing at the end of the bout. Mm-hmm. Just just stay above water, right? <laughs> Just stay in the ring. They're probably still not going to do as well, but at least, at least I've given them a chance to, to stay. <laughs> yeah. You know, they're going to stay alive. Uh, they might. I don't know. They, I guess they could get knocked out, but if they, at least if they don't take too many risks, they might be all right. Right. Okay. So, with that person, that would be somebody that has some training in the markets. Mm-hmm. And what my advice to them would be: All right, look, you know how to establish accounts. You know how to do this. Why don't you just play it safe? Do do some good diversification here in some of the very best companies that probably aren't going to go under and have done well in the past. Yeah, Those might be the things that you want to do. And let's spread your risk out into the five different areas. You know, you've got, you've got the commodities like gold and silver and oil. You've got, uh, you know, and funds within those. Yeah. You've got a couple of really good stocks. You've got a couple of really good. So you'd, you'd spread your risk out. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and that's for the person that has some training, but not, uh, they, they still don't know what, yeah. Well, and, and they're even, just hoping to survive. Even, even people like me, I don't, I'm not a fundamentalist of stocks. I trade a lot of futures, trade a lot of options. I speculate mm-hmm. on a lot of things. So I don't really, I wouldn't go and look at a stock and say, yes, I know the fundamentals of this company is good. And this is the company that I want to buy and hold on to for X amount of time. I would look at it and say, hey, is it going in the direction I want it to go? Is there some opportunity to make money here? Great. I can do that. But even for a person like me, that's just not my style. So I trade differently than that. And so I would probably still be in the basket of, 
Hey, I'm just going to buy the S&P. That's, that's okay. You're a middleweight boxer right now. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I should we'll, probably we'll be <laughs> a, a heavyweight for my size, but whatever. <laughs> All right. Anyway, back to the boxer analogy. Now, if you had an up-and-coming boxer who might not yet match the champion in skill, but is, you know, I'm sorry, uh, that, that was, I'm sorry, Let, let's go with another one. Let's say that you've got a boxer now that, that has, that is also a prize fighter. Mm-hmm. Going against a champion, right? But they've done a lot of training. They know what they're doing. They actually have a shot at at taking the champion out. Your advice would be vastly different mm-hmm. than that of the other two. Now you're not talking so much about, all right, stay away, only engage. Yeah, protect these, yourself. Or, or just <laughs> lay down on the mat, right? Uh, we're just trying to keep you alive. Now you can actually get into, all right, This this these are his the boxer's weak points. This is where you need to attack. This is, these are your weak points. These is where you need to, uh, you know, true up, um, Mm -hmm. get you in the corner, bear hug, get out, you know, things like that are going to be advice, but they're going to be much more technical. And and now you've got a chance of actually, of actually coming out on top, you know, holding the belt, uh, where the other two really don't have any chance. And so you're just trying to keep them alive one way or another. All right. Well, you know, that's kind of how we look at it. And, and, and I'll tell you that for, for people that know what they're doing in the markets, those that don't know what they're doing are a little bit frustrating. <laughs> in fact, I was reading an article. No, I, I was watching. I was watching an interview by Peter Lynch. Um, and if you don't know who that is, you know, he's a very famous uh, investor, mm-hmm. did really well uh, with his fund for a long time, retired now. But... Um, but he was talking about it and he said, you know, my frustration is, is that most people going into the markets today will do more research on the $1,200 refrigerator that they're going to buy than they do on, you know, any stock that they're going to throw tens of thousands of dollars at. Yeah. And they really have no idea what they're doing, but they're, they're, but they're ready willing to, do to it. take that gamble. Oh yeah. yeah. You know? And he said that that's very frustrating. And I kind of agree Mm-hmm. The, the where I disagree with Peter Lynch is is that I think that everybody out there is smart enough to try and do some research, mm-hmm. but most people have no clue how to do good research on any company. You know, like you said, most people don't know how to even look at fundamentals. Yeah, what are the fundamentals? And so what they end up doing, the research that they end up doing, is they go and they and they look online, and and it's kind of like uh, going and buying the refrigerator. You know, what would you do if you were buying a refrigerator? You look for one that you thought you liked, mm-hmm. right? It has the features you want. Mm-hmm. The price range. Yeah, in the price range that you want. And and then the research that you would do is you go online and see if there are any, uh, I don't know. Sales. Reviews on it. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, so have other people that bought it liked it? Well, that's kind of the research we do today in the stock. <laughs> Most people do in the stocks, right? What is everybody else saying about it? Everybody likes it? Well, maybe I get it. Everybody loves Tesla? Yeah, buy. Which which can be misleading, like you just yeah. said, Tesla, right? People put buy indicators on it when it's... Or GameStop. Way Woo. overpriced, and you're like, wait a second. What the heck's going on around here? Yeah, and so I think that they're actually doing the same research that they would do for that refrigerator. It's just, that's the wrong research. <laughs> All right, because they don't understand they don't understand the dynamics or the mechanics of the market, and so they have no clue what good research actually looks like, and they don't know that there that a lot of the people out there 
that are touting this, that are saying how wonderful this is, are actually just trying to sell it. Mm -hmm. I mean, think about it, you know? Here a company is, and they are telling you how to make smart moves in the market. And you've got to ask yourself, why would they tell me this? They they aren't paid to give me this advice. They're giving free advice. Why? It's not out of the goodness of their heart. The fact is, is that they're out there and they have to get people to sell to them when it's low mm-hmm. and buy from them when it's high. Mm-hmm. And that's the only way they make money. And so if they're telling you to buy something, then you have to stop and think. <laughs> Are they telling me to buy it because they want to sell it to me? Goldman Sachs actually had to testify in front of the Congress, Senate, something like that. And they were trying to convince their customers to buy this fund. I don't remember the name of it. But they had emails from the internal parts of the company talking about how crappy the fund was uh-huh. and how they were trying to get rid of it. And they needed it was the number one thing they were telling all of their clients to buy because they were trying to get out of the position. <laughs> and, and, of course, they went in front of Congress and, and smirked and went, oh, we didn't, uh, we didn't know. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, yeah. There's emails saying that you guys know <laughs> you have, how bad this yeah, thing is. You have 10,000 analysts yeah. and you don't know. <laughs> you didn't know it was bad. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Um, (laughs) yes. So if they're telling you to buy, you might look at it and say, why are you telling, why aren't you buying it? Right. Why are you telling me the first thing that, that, uh, you'd think that they would do is clam up, Mm -hmm. buy as much of it as they could while it was at a good price, not tell a soul until they had everything they could possibly take on. And if they thought it was still a good price, they'd be selling other stuff off to get it. Mm-hmm. But they're not. They're done buying it. Now they're telling you what a great deal it is. So they can push it higher so they can get rid of it at a better price. There you go. Yep. All right. Um, okay. So now back to diversification. So we've gone through why people diversify. And, and we use that boxer, you know, so the the people that don't know what they're doing, both the first two boxers, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, the enthusiastic that knows a little bit and the one that knows absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. Both of those should diversify, my opinion. Yeah. Okay. But if those numbers are correct and only 4% of the stocks accounted for all of the wealth created in the stock market, then the job of the trained investors is to find those good ones. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. And, and, and good in, in, uh, the best categories. All right. So, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and if you're, if you've got too much, like I said, Investopedia article where the author showed that holding more than 20 different stocks had the same effect as holding 500, both in terms of protection and wide diversification, uh, ramifications, like, like averaging everything out, not mm-hmm. being able to do anything better than average. Yeah. Um, if you're holding 20, then you might look and say, oh, I'm widely diversified. Maybe I don't know, or maybe I fell into, you know, the idea. Now, even if you're, I mean, if you're doing that, if you're diversifying that much, then it's probably because you think that it's a protective strategy. Mm -hmm. And you should know that, that those that are trained in, in investing, as an individual, not as a company, but as an individual, look at things entirely different. We don't look at holding a lot of different things as risk management. We look at how to manage the risk of holding any one thing, and we apply the same risk uh, management to all of them. So where uh, where a company 
sells the idea of just hold a whole bunch of stocks and if one goes up the other one if one goes down then the other one goes up and you're good yeah it balances each other out right yeah those that are trained sit there and think why should i ever go down yeah why would i let that one take a loss because i've got things like stops Mm -hmm. and if it stops me out and it keeps going down i can buy it at a lower price so why why hold it while it's going down that makes zero sense well and the other yeah the other tool that a lot of big investors or people who don't diversify very much use is options yes options is a huge tool that those people it, use. Well, in fact, it was created as insurance in the stock market. One of that the was, sides of that it, was yeah. the very that was the very purpose of the inception of the of the option. It gave it gave insurance, mm-hmm. and so it's nothing but a big insurance tool. And it doesn't matter what you're doing. If you're doing calls, you're insuring yourself that you're going to be able to buy at the price you want to buy at. Mm-hmm. And if you're doing puts, you're insuring yourself that you can sell at the price you want to sell at. All right, but you're not subject to the uh, to the whims of the market if you understand good um, risk management the way that a, a an individual would do it, mm-hmm. the way that a professional trader or investor would do it in their own accounts. Yeah. All right. So um, for the professional, you would probably still hold things like stocks, bonds, real estate, commodities, and all at once but you wouldn't buy them all at the same time. You certainly wouldn't dedicate a portion of your paycheck to pick up every single one of those, no matter what the market was doing. You would only buy them when the market dictated that it was at its low. So like commodities, all right? In 2020, um, oil hit an all-time low, and you could pick up energy uh, type... Um, Pennies. Oh, yeah. You could pick up, pick up um, yeah, these, these energy funds for, yeah... Stupid cheap. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and you got to think about real quick with commodities. Commodities don't just gain value over time. Typically, they stay in a range. Right. They kind of have a high side and a low side. If you're just randomly buying it whenever, you're going to probably get to the average and you're going to be flat on, exactly. on any profits. And over in, time. Yeah, over time. And yeah. you can look at crude oil from back in the early 2000s to yeah. where we are now. We're still with inside the same range. Yeah. It's been 20 years. Right. Now, now then you've got the other side of commodities. A wider group of commodities are typically going to at least keep up with inflation, right? Yes. But the professional would never do that. The professional would always buy things that are tanking right now, knowing that it's commodity and commodities, well, except that one case. Don't go to zero. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> it did. Soybeans oil went always, for zero yeah. for just a smidge of time. All right. Well, it, it wasn't did, that it, long. It actually went negative, right? They were it paying did. people to store it for them. Yeah. <laughs> because of the way that that works, but that was that, that was, was COVID. A, it was yeah. yeah, and it was a once in a millennial type thing, right? But because commodities are stuff, they always have some value. They don't go to zero, and that means that if you're buying them when they crash, then it's 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 not like it's going to go zero. It's yeah. going to go up. All the lumber in the world isn't yeah. just going to go away. Well, like, <laughs> yeah, lumber never goes bankrupt. Yeah, exactly. That's the weird thing about lumber. Now, it did go from about $1,700 to about 300 Right, so you don't buy it when it's high. Exactly. That's a really bad yeah. idea, <laughs> right? Anyway, real estate, same thing. You get real estate when it crashes. Yeah. And then you hold it while it's doing well. Probably, you know, for me at least, I, I prefer REITs rather than physical property because I can get rid of REITs in a moment's notice. Um they never the REIT never calls me to replace a toilet. That's true. 
in the middle of the night. Now, I will say, REITs, I mean, REITs, normal real estate, I, I've met plenty of real estate investors yeah. who say that the best time to real, buy real estate is all the time. And I just, <laughs> I disagree so much well, with that statement. Well, the numbers sure don't say that. Yeah. And, yeah. and we've used an example of that on the show before. You have to time the market just, just a smidge, right? If you're buying <laughs> things for the highest price possible with every last penny you have, you're going to lose some money over a pretty long period of time. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so in conclusion, you know, diversification, is it good, bad, ugly, necessary, or necessarily ugly? And I think that the answer really depends on what you know, or in other words, or in the other words of Buffett, here's another Buffett quote, okay? Diversification is protection against ignorance. It makes little sense if you know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. All right. So if you want to know how to learn to be the prize fighter instead of the training dummy for the champions (laughs) in the markets, all right? then join us in one of our classes. And again, we have two classes to choose from. We have a free class. This is generally for people that, um, that don't know what they're doing, haven't, haven't really been in or have, uh, not done, have been in but have not done very well at all. Mm-hmm. Chances are you're missing some of the, I don't know, uh, some of the basic points. Mm-hmm. And this free class goes through the basic points. Now, do we, do we look at um, the, the, the strategies? Yes. Do we look at how we come up with the highs and lows? Yes. All right. So we give, a, give, we give out all of the information as much as people can handle, and we do it both for investing and for trading. We don't expect everybody to uh, walk out of their trading. It's well, a three-hour class. Yeah. We don't expect you to be a professional after a very no. short period of time. We expect you to walk out saying, oh, that's how it works. Or, oh, that's what yeah. that market is. Yeah. That makes a lot more sense now, right? So, so that's a free class, and it's for people that think that they might want to get involved in doing something for themselves, but thus far they, they don't know that it's absolutely their path. Yeah. Okay? Um, and if you want that, just go on to www.tradingacademy.com. And uh, when you get there, then you'll see something that says learn more. Click that, and it'll take you to a registration page, and it'll bring up a bunch of classes that are near you. Mm-hmm. Okay? So, uh, so just go online, and, and uh, we'll get this figured out. Free class. Now, for those of you that know that you want to start trading and investing and live in Arizona, <laughs> okay, we have a class. Uh, it's a three-day class, and it's, it's great for starting out again. We take an in-depth look at how to trade and invest in all of the different uh, markets, stocks, options, futures, Forex, okay? And why they're important both in trading and investing to your overall financial health. Mm -hmm. Um, How they all work together, it's just, it's three intense days of great information, okay? And so if you know you want to start trading and investing, that is the class for you. And in that case, you would give us a call and tell us that you want the $99 class. It's usually $299, all right? If you were to come to the center, um, you would find it uh, that we would offer it in our three-hour class at the very end for those people that want to learn more mm-hmm. for $299, all right? But if you call us, then you get it for just $99. So the number is 844-887-2337, okay? Or you can text us, text dollar sign nine nine. To, to the number 25029. That's dollar sign 
888-252-25029. And that's all we've got. We hope to see you next week.